G'day, g'day! Welcome to Game Day with Gabe. I'm your host, Gabe the Babe, and you're about to get an insight to the college football world. What's up, Cougs fans? Welcome back to Game Day with Gabe. I'm so hyped to bring you today's episode. It's going to be about BYU football, the NFL playoffs, like the Super Bowl teams. We're talking biggest game of the football nation. Everyone in America watches it. And last but not least, tennis, the Aussie Open. Let's start off with BYU football. So on January 30th, uh, Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday, January 30th, BYU's football schedule was released. And we got all the dates for when we play our opponents. One thing that stood out to me is that we get two buys in this schedule. Because of how early Labor Day weekend is, and we always play games before Labor Day weekend, it makes us that the schedule finishes on the normal time, which is around Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving football, but we still get an extra week because of how early Labor Day weekend is. So instead of having one buy, you have two buys. That's really nice. So we're going to play five games, have a buy, three more games, have another buy in the last four games. That'll be way lit. So my takeaways from this schedule, we start off pretty well. We play an easy game at home to start off 1-0 probably. Then we go on the road at SMU, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. And then that's a Friday night. Then we play at Wyoming Saturday night. Those two games could be trap games. By definition, a trap game is one where you don't focus as well as you should and you think you're going to win, but then you let it down and they upset you. It's basically where you aren't bringing your A game, and they get you for that. That's what a trap is. Like, they trap you, and yeah, both of those games are dangerous. So hopefully we can avoid the trap games by starting off strong. Once we join into Big 12 play, because we play nine games in the Big 12, we have five at home and four on the road. One interesting thing is that we could have scheduled seven home games this year. Would have been so fun. But instead, we scheduled two non-conference road games. A little questionable, because some teams like Alabama will play seven or eight home games in a season. Pretty crazy, if they're lucky. Well, BYU gets to play five games at home in the Big 12. Now that's going to be so fun. Five of our six home games are all big. The first game is going to be hosting Kansas State. Kansas State and Baylor are the two teams we didn't get to play from the Big 12 last year. So we host Kansas State on the 21st of September, and then we play at Baylor the next week. So those are our first five games. It goes Southern Illinois, August 31st, then at SMU Friday night at Wyoming, hosting Kansas State and playing at Baylor. We have a bye, and then we get to host Arizona. I'm so hyped for that game. Then the next week, we play Friday or Saturday, hosting Oklahoma State. That'll be at home as well. And then we play at UCF. UCF is University of Central Florida, located in Orlando. So if you're looking to get into the sun and have a nice road trip to plan around a BYU football game, I would probably recommend going to see Orlando and seeing the BYU game on the 26th of October. And then after that, BYU has a bye for a week, so it's another break. One thing about our first bye is that it takes place during general conference weekend, So that gives BYU a chance to, instead of playing football, to focus on the words of the Prophet and the Latter-day Saints. That's pretty great. 
Um, the next four games in the schedule, we go at Utah. We haven't played at Utah since 2018. It's been six years. We'll have a bye week, and they'll also have a bye week. So we're going to have two weeks to prepare ourselves for the Utah game, and so are they. It's going to be so hyped and so lit. But we haven't played in Rice-Eccles Stadium since its new renovations, and Utah's a really dangerous team now. So that'll be really fun. I recommend watching it. The next week, we turn around and play Kansas. Kansas is one of two teams we get to play twice, like from 2023 and 2024, along with Oklahoma State. And then we get to play at Arizona State. That should be a BYU Stadium takeover, knowing that Arizona State's still rebuilding under a new head coach, that BYU's dominant in places like Arizona. Our fans will show up and support us, probably more than Arizona State's. It might be like a BYU home game in Arizona, which is pretty crazy. That how That's how BYU is such a big brand. If you can go to play in a game that's not your home, but you still have more fans than the home team, then you know that you have a big football brand. That's BYU football. We do that really well. Everywhere in the country. Everyone in the world, too. You'll find BYU fans. And then, on the last game, it's not going to be against Utah, like people thought, because BYU and Utah is a big rivalry game. Probably top five in the country. The whole nation, BYU and Utah, is up there. The Holy War. Well, we're not going to play them in the last week, mainly because of SEC and Big Ten rivalry games that steal the spotlight, such as Texas, Texas A&M, uh, Alabama, Auburn, Michigan, Michigan, Ohio State. I, I mean, just look at all the big games. ESPN will want to show us earlier against Utah. So I think that game in November 11, that'll be on November 9th. It, uh, that's when we play Utah. And the 30th, we play Houston for our last game at home. Houston and uh, UCF and Arizona State and Utah and Arizona. Those are five new teams we haven't faced yet, so that should be fun. And Kansas State and Baylor. We've played them, but not last year in the Big 12. And then the two games that we're repeating are Kansas and Oklahoma State. So basically, there's a breakdown of BYU's schedule. I really like it. Which games are going to be difficult? Well, I'd say the difficult games are going to be at Wyoming, in Laramie, Wyoming, on the High Plains just because it's a trap game and something could go wrong. Another difficult one, playing at Baylor's always tough. You know, Baylor's a good team with Jeff Grimes, and they're big, physical. It's just a tough, tough place to go and get a win. Doable, but tough. Arizona at home is going to be so fun. But you know Noah Fafita, Arizona's starting quarterback, freshman last year, so he'll be a sophomore this year. He's getting looks from the NFL. He's got NFL-level talent, sees the, sees the field really well, has a great arm. He can also make plays with his legs. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with as Arizona's starting quarterback next year. Another tough game at Oklahoma State, hosting Oklahoma State. That'll still be tough. You know, they're returning their 7th or ninth year quarterback. I think he's in his 7th year of eligibility. Crazy. And then at UCF, it could always be tough, and at Utah. So those games are the tough ones. But which ones are going to be worth planning a road trip to? Absolutely at UCF and at Arizona State. A road trip is when you go down, go to a different state probably, and then you just, if you want to plan around a BYU football game, I would recommend going at UCF and at Arizona State. Because at Arizona State and at UCF, they're in Florida and Arizona. 
during November and October, that's beautiful prime times to visit those places. Not too hot, not too cold. You can visit the theme parks in Orlando. Then Arizona has BYU fans everywhere. Absolutely those games. Home opener is going to be against Kansas State. Should be so much fun. I'm way excited. By the way, the perfect time to visit Lavelle Edwards Stadium is in October. That's the peak time when the mountains are changing color. We get to play Noah Fafita in Arizona. What a game. The temperature is perfect. Not too hot, not too cold. A nice fall breeze. Usually we have a homecoming parade in one of those games. And going into that game hosting Arizona, we could very well be 4-1 or 5-0. Oh. Maybe 3-2. But optimistically, we're probably 4-1 going into that game. I'm not sure about our predictions yet based on our starting quarterback, but I'll get those out when BYU releases more info. I'm really hyped for his football season. It's probably more manageable than last year. We should get a winning record, and that should be fun. Okay, let's move on to tennis. Tennis is way lit, the Aussie Open. So I have a lot of respect for the Aussie Open. Sinner and Medvedev played in the final in this game, after Sinner upset Djokovic in four sets. Sinner and Medvedev played to five sets in this game. The final. Medvedev went up two sets on him. Sinner came back two, and then he won the final one. So Sinner won in five sets. What a final. He's only like 24, and he's fourth in the world already from Italy. Medvedev is third in the world, and he has had four five-set games this Open. This tournament, he's had four of his seven games be five sets. That's insane. He has a lot of practice during those. So kudos to Sinner getting the dub in the Aussie Open, first one ever, and first time that Djokovic hasn't won the Aussie Open for at least six years. Disregard that one year where he couldn't play with COVID and everything. BYU's basketball. I'm just going to talk about it real quick. Our hype shows that we're real contenders. We just beat Texas on Saturday. Texas is a really dangerous team with Dylan DeSue. They have Tyrese Hunter. They have a lot of good guys. And they're physical, tough, good shooters. If we can play defense like we did against Texas and attack the basket the way we did, our shooting doesn't have to determine our win- have to determine our wins and losses. The way we played defense just locked down, completely shut them down. Physical, uptight, not letting any shots get by. That's how you play good defense. And that level of play is going to get BYU wins in the Big 12. It'll get us consistent wins. It'll get us upsets too, like Kansas, like Houston, like big names like TCU. Those games we can win if we play defense like we did. And attacking the basket doesn't mean you have to make it because you can draw fouls and that results in free throws. If we make our free throws, that's easy points. So attacking the basket is another great way to show our worth. Go Cukes! We're going to have a great season this year. Some news from the Big 12 in the basketball. TCU got a triple overtime. Triple overtime. Just imagine it. That means your score has to be tied at the end of regulation, which is already very slim odds. At the end of first overtime and second overtime, you also have to have ties. So they had three ties at the end of time. And then the triple overtime. TCU got the win on the road, 105-102, at number 11, Baylor Bears. What a crazy game. Iowa State also upset number 7, Kansas, 79-75 at home. This is the second time that Iowa State's beat Kansas. 
and Houston. They've beat both those teams this year. Not not twice, but they've each they've beat both teams once. I think BYU is gonna pull at least one of those upsets. We get to play at Kansas. Just imagine in the Allen Fieldhouse, which is one of the most historic, uh, picturesque college basketball arenas in the nation. I'm so excited for that. We actually beat Iowa State earlier this year, so that's way lit. We're probably a five or six in the bracketology right now, which Joe Lunardi comes out with. It basically previews what the tournament and the field of 68 is going to look like. Five or six means we're about in the 20 to 24 ranking, which is about where we are. We're 22 right now, and ranked in the top 25, you've got to be a really good team to do that. The Big 12 is a very deep conference because most of the games are within five points. BYU is in the middle of the conference themselves, ranked in the top 25. I think the Big 12 has seven or eight teams ranked inside the top 25. That's a new record. It's definitely the most dominant basketball conference there is in college basketball right now. Moving on to the NFL, where I'll look at the 49ers, Chiefs, Ravens, and Lions in some fun championship games. As you've probably heard, the 49ers and the Chiefs are going at it in the Super Bowl this year. I predicted it. I predicted the correct matchup of the 49ers versus Chiefs matchup in Vegas. The 49ers came back in a comeback victory against the Lions. Now, to give you a bit of context, the Lions have not won a road playoff game since 1957, and they've never made the Super Bowl. And it goes to show that it's crazy, because every team in the Super Bowl era, which is from 1960 on, has made the Super Bowl at least once, at least been to the game, but not the Lions. They've never been. So the 49ers came back down 24-7 at halftime. They dug themselves into into a deep hole by allowing the Lions to dominate the line of scrimmage. And that's how the Lions got up a big lead. They ran the ball really well. Their offensive line stopped the defensive's front seven, and they got to run a few yards every play before the defense even got a hand for tackling them. So that alone get the Lions a big lead. They went up 24-7. Their defense just stopped Brock Purdy, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle. All the 49ers playmakers were shut down. Well, they came back, and it was over the course of five significant plays. Well, number one, Brandon Ayuk's 51-yard pass. This pass came on a 51-yard pass from Brock Purdy, and it was a deep ball. It went to about the 10-yard line in the air. It tipped off the Lions' defensive back's helmet. He didn't catch it. It tipped off his helmet, fell into the hands of Brandon Ayuk as he tumbled to the ground at the four-yard line. That alone did it. That pass set them up for a touchdown. Brandon Ayuk got a six-yard touchdown pass after this. So that cut the lead to 24-14. to Pretty crazy. After that, the Lions of the ball, they drove down, drove down, drove down, drove down. They made it to the 49ers' 28-yard line. Instead of settling for a field goal, they went for it on fourth down. Big mistake. It was an incomplete pass. The 49ers took over on downs. They drove down, kicked a field goal, cut the deficit to seven. Now, by this, the momentum was all in the 49ers' half. And you can imagine what happened when the Lions fumbled it on the first play of their next drive. As soon as they fumbled it, the Jimmy or Gibbs, their rookie running back, fumbled it at the one-yard line. Christian McCaffrey got the ball for the 49ers and punched it in. 
game tied, 24-24. This place was rocking. And then from there, it was all 49ers. They ended up winning this game 34-31, ripping the heart out of the Lions fans. A singer, a heartbreaker. They were about to go to the Super Bowl, and they came three points away. On the other hand, the Chiefs and the Ravens played at the Ravens, which is M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. The Chiefs won 17-10. This was because they forced three turnovers by the Ravens. They themselves had none. Patrick Mahomes knows how to efficiently distribute the ball, when it should go to the running back, tight end, wide receivers, when he should keep it and prolong plays. He knows all of this stuff. He knows how to win in the playoffs. That's why my money's with the Chiefs right now, all the way. They won because Mahomes won up 14-7 to in the early moments of the game. It was in the first and second quarter, and the Ravens had to play in catch-up mode from then on. When Mahomes gets up early, he's just going to run the ball out, run the timeout, run the timeout, and the clock went down, ticked all the way down to zero. The Chiefs won 17-10 to because the Ravens made too many mistakes in their comeback attempts. Like Lamar Jackson's a great threat. He's a dynamic player with a great supporting cast, right? But because he couldn't get anything going, there was no passes with the Chiefs' defense. And he's got a great rushing attack. But if the Chiefs can theoretically lock down the Lions' wide receivers, he's going to have to run it. So then the Chiefs strategically place a spy on Lamar Jackson to limit those yards. It's genius what they did on defense, and that's what took them to the Super Bowl the way they could limit Lamar Jackson and his supporting cast. They also had a couple big turnovers. The Zay Flowers pass was a 50, he had like a 50 yard pass that went to the 10 yard line of the Chiefs. It was a big play. Then he had a taunting penalty, which set them back 15 yards. They drove all the way down. He got another 15 yard pass. This one, he dove for the goal line because he was so close, but you never dive because the ball got knocked out of his hands. The Chiefs recovered it in the end zone. By rule, this play is a touchback. Chiefs get the ball at their 25-yard line. Now, that that eliminates any points for the Ravens. A field goal, a touchdown, they get nothing. Because of that, they, they start going in really comeback mode. On one of their final drives, their second-to-last drive, Lamar Jackson threw it into triple coverage at about the from the 20-yard line into the end zone to Isaiah Likely, their tight end. While in triple coverage, the odds are low you're going to get a pass. The Chiefs picked it off, and they got it. It was a touchback again. Those two mistakes cost them the game because the Ravens could not come back. If you're throwing interceptions and fumbles at the goal line, you have to convert those into points somehow. If they get one of those, the game's tied 17-17. Maybe the Chiefs kick a game-winning field goal, but we don't know. It could have been a lot more close. What the Chiefs were able to do carried them to the victory. But also, you have to look at the Chiefs' offense, which was a big threat. Patrick Mahomes got the ball to Travis Kelsey a lot in this game. His stats were 11 catches, 106 yards, and a touchdown. As a wide receiver or a a tight end, Travis Kelsey's a tight end, right? Well, you aim for 10 catches, over 100 yards, and a touchdown. And he achieved that. He achieved that to perfection. Actually, in this game, he set the record for most career receptions in the NFL postseason, passing Jerry Rice. Guess who was there to cheer him on as he did this? Taylor Swift in the Swifty Show. Because Travis Kelsey's dating Taylor Swift, 
She regularly attends every Chiefs game, and then there's a bunch of Swifties that tune into the Chiefs game so they can see her every time Kelsey gets the ball. And because of that, a lot of people are going for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl against the Niners. It's pretty funny, I'd say, but it's just kind of distracting from the NFL because Taylor Swift's the most popular pop star girl in the whole world, and so obviously people are going to tune in to watch the Chiefs game now. Never bet against Mahomes in the playoffs. He will prove you wrong. He's done it twice now, or they went on the road at the Bills, at the Ravens, won both of them. You can't count them out. They're just really good at making the Super Bowl, as shown in stats, too. They've made the last four of the five Super Bowls. In 2020, they beat the Niners. In 2021, they lost to the Bucks. 2022, they didn't make it. Last year, they beat the Eagles, and this year, they're going to play the Niners. So they're playing the Niners, and then the Bucks, the Eagles, and now the Niners again. Four of the last five Super Bowls, they've made it. Let's talk Super Bowl tickets. Super Bowl tickets are notoriously known for being crazy expensive, ridiculously expensive. In fact, this year, the cheapest tickets you can find for like the upper, upper row of the Super Bowl in Vegas is over $5,800. Just ridiculous money. Because everyone wants to go and there's such a high demand for the Super Bowl. Not only this, but there's also Super Bowl commercials that people will pay lots of money for. They, they put in millions, gazillions of money. It's insane. You should read about some of the stuff they do. I, you've probably already heard about it. Classic Super Bowl traditions, expensive commercials, silly commercials, ones that don't make much sense. Also pretty cool, but crazy expensive tickets. So, Gabe's game this week. Not going to be the Super Bowl, because that's on February 11th. We're not quite there yet. We're going to have the Pro Bowl first. The Pro Bowl is where the best players get together and do some drills, pretty much, like flag football and that. The game's game this week is going to be Duke at North Carolina. Duke at North Carolina is a classic, classic college basketball rivalry. These two teams are located right next to each other in the state of North Carolina. Now, one's on Chapel Hill, that's North Carolina. Then just a few miles down the road, you have Duke. And so they're right next to each other. They've been a big rivalry. The big four is known as Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, and North Carolina. This rivalry is known as Tobacco Road. It's got it's so historic. You'd have uh, Coach K for Duke, and you'd have the other coach for North Carolina. I can't remember his name, but they were the longtime coaches of their programs. And so it's been a historic rivalry. You've had some great games, upsets, uh, overtimes, anything, you name it, crazy finishes, March Madness appearances, it's had all of them. 200 is the number of big four games in which both teams have been ranked among the top 25. What this means is uh, 200, the number of games in the big four between Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, and North Carolina, and both have been ranked among the top 25. Then 85 of these games have been between Duke and North Carolina. That just goes to show how good and consistently good these teams are. They're a force to be reckoned with. When they go head-to-head, this one's going to be at North Carolina. It's going to be a great battle. They're both top 15 teams right now, for sure. 48 times Duke and North Carolina have met as top 10 teams in in like the history of the rivalry. So it's crazy. Big rivalry. I recommend checking it out if you haven't checked it out yet. 
that's going to be Gabe's game, everybody. Wow, wow, wow.